the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a series of messages called Proverbs, A Beautiful Life, on the book of Proverbs, which is a book in the Bible that is full of wisdom, poetry, beauty, and instructs us on what the beautiful life is and how we can live it. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 9? Proverbs chapter 9 is an end point to the beginning part of the book of Proverbs. After Proverbs chapter 9, we uh, make our way into Proverbs chapter 10. That's not going to surprise you at all, but the kind of way that Proverbs is written shifts a bit as we get into Proverbs chapter 10. It's much less narrative. There are a lot of different sorts of Proverbs stacked upon each other, and it will continue that way until Proverbs 30, where a kind of resolution to, uh, to the book will come to us. And so today, this really wraps up the beginning part of the first portion of this book. And In Proverbs chapter 7, we've heard about the adulterous woman. In Proverbs chapter 8, we've heard about the wise woman. And they'll both show up again here in Proverbs chapter 9 as this section of Scripture comes to a beautiful conclusion. And so let's give our attention to Proverbs chapter 9, reading the whole chapter. Let's remember that this is God's word. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever's simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight, for by me your days will be multiplied. And years will be added to your life. If you're wise, you'll be wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. 
She's seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever's simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. This is God's word. I've entitled this sermon, Home Hunters. And I hope you'll figure out why. So in 1999, the network HGTV debuted a new show called House Hunters. And the premise of the show is simple. From Wikipedia, Wikipedia talks about it. The House Hunters follows individuals, families, or couples searching for a new home with the assistance of a local real estate agent. In each episode, the, the buyer needs to decide what house they're going to buy and move into from three potential houses uh, to buy, ultimately choosing one before the end of the episode. The show concludes by coming back a few weeks later when the participants describe the changes that they've made and the effect that a new house has had on their life. Because of the formulaic nature of the show, the Washington Post describes it as brazenly paint by numbers, noting that the blog Pop Sugar listed 24 things that happen every episode, from a buyer says wow in an entryway, to retro details are identified and scorned. The show has been an unbridled success. House Hunters boasts almost 25 million monthly viewers. The show has led to nearly 20 spin-offs, totaling 229 combined seasons and about 1,800 total episodes. Why is the show such a success? Why are people so interested? Well, it's a really big deal to choose a house. And when you make uh, the, the decision, the, the home buying decision is one of the most major ones that you're going to make in any given year, or frankly, throughout the entirety of your life. The place where you're going to build your home is a really big deal. It's also fun to sort of consider the drama of which one they're going to choose. Some of the homes seem like such obviously bad choices that the viewer finds themselves cheering for the couple, urging them to make the right kind of choice, or sometimes cheering for the home, hoping that this obviously best option is going to be chosen. But that's actually where the TV magic comes into play, through the illusion of genuine choice. Apparently, House Hunters only films people who have already uh, signed a contract on a home. Every person that's in House Hunters is already under contract in one particular home, and they're taken through two different options, sometimes homes that they actually looked at in their own search process, sometimes homes that are staged by accommodating friends to give the viewer the illusion of real choice when there is none. In Proverbs chapter 9... Solomon shows his son a choice of two houses where he might make his home. But the choice of property is substantially higher stakes than the choice for individuals or couples on HGTV. Because while some architectural elements are described in Proverbs chapter 9, like pillars in verse 1 or the door in verse 14, the more important reality is the woman who inhabits the house, the good woman. 
Wisdom from chapter 8 appears here in chapter 9, along with the wicked, adulterous woman from chapter 7, the woman folly. And the key decision is in which house, with which woman, will you build your home? Solomon here is encouraging his son to be more than a house hunter. He's encouraging him to hunt for a home. And he also lays out real, genuine stakes. The stakes are life and death. And the decision isn't a foregone conclusion either. No TV producer has already checked to make sure that Solomon's son is already in escrow in one of the properties. No, here there is a genuine choice between wisdom and folly, between life and death. And the great thing for us this morning as we hear this section of scripture read and preached is that we are also invited to make a choice. Where will we make our home? And I want to plead with you this morning to do one thing, to reject evil and to build your life with God. I want to invite you to reject evil and to build your life with God. Now, there are two parts of this passage because there are two characters and two potential houses to make a home within the passage. Let's call them wisdom's home and folly's home. And let's, which, let's see which one is the obviously better but more challenging choice. And let's work to see where we will make our home. Let's start with home number one. Wisdom's home. The first home is the one built in the classical style with seven pillars. Hewn by wisdom herself as she constructed the building in its entirety. And not only has wisdom built the house, she's also prepared a feast within it. She sent out messengers to tell everyone, every single person that they are invited. And the message that she sends through all of her messengers is simple. If you recognize that you are a fool, if you've been humble enough to recognize your own simplicity, if you lack sense and don't want to lack it anymore, I have an invitation, says wisdom. Come, make your home here. Choose this house and make it your home. There's wine here to revive you. There's bread to make you strong. There's a bed to rest till morning, rest from pain and rest from wrong. But there's a cost. And that cost is laid out in verse 6, where wisdom says, leave your simple ways. Wisdom says to all who might choose her house and make it their home, you can't keep house shopping in the fool district of the town any longer. Choosing my house, says wisdom, means making a real definitive choice. It means actually choosing against the sinful foolishness that once characterized you and choosing positively the godly wisdom that I'm offering you now. The way of righteousness, the way of truth, the fear of the Lord, and wisdom. The Gospel Coalition recently published an article of some of the characteristic patterns of Generation Z. And Gen Z, I'm not here to pick on you this morning. I'm here to talk about something that might be characteristic of your generation to help us understand some of the challenge of the invitation of wisdom here. 
There was an article written by an author who served with crew in college ministry for 13 years, and he noted that while my generation, millennials, have been characterized by what's sometimes been termed FOMO or fear of missing out, he said that Gen Z individuals can be characterized, perhaps better described by FOBA or fear of better options. He said that in his work, it was very difficult to get Gen Z individuals to commit to an event or to RSVP when offered one thing or another because they were afraid that there might be better options that show up later. He says the average young person's inner dialogue seems to have shifted from what if I don't go and they have fun without me to what if I commit now and regret it later? And you, if you're part of Gen Z, might feel that. You, regardless of what generation that you're in, might feel that. You might feel that if you make a commitment, you might regret it later because better options might show up. And so the call of wisdom might present to us a challenge. Wisdom calls out and says to us, commit to my ways and reject your old ones. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukemai. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now more from Pastor Derek in our series called Proverbs, A Beautiful Life. On the book of Proverbs, which is a book in the Bible that is full of wisdom, poetry, beauty, and instructs us on what the beautiful life is and how we can live it. Solomon's son can't commit to wisdom's invitation while intending to still flirt with folly. He can't claim to want to be wise without making the commitments to work to be so. Wisdom's invitation is to make a home with her, to make a family with her, to make a life with her. And Solomon's got to make a genuine choice, a real live choice that involves a real live no to some of the ways and patterns that he may have operated in before this. And that's hard. It's a difficult thing to say, yeah, I'm going to say yes to what's good, and that means no to what's bad. And then we hear about the sort of person that's going to accept wisdom's invitation and the sort of person who will reject wisdom's invitation. In verses 7 and 8, we're told about these individuals. If wisdom's invitation makes its way to a scoffer, that scoffer will reject it. And if wisdom's invitation makes its way to a wise person, that wise person will accept it. And here wisdom lays out for us a good way for us to judge our own hearts this morning. Verse 7 says, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Wisdom continues and says, do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. But then wisdom starts talking about a wise person. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. And then give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. Here's what wisdom is telling us. 
And remember, to help us understand, that a scoffer is the sort of person who laughs and speaks about a person in an idea or an idea in a way that shows that the scoffer thinks that that person or that idea is silly or dumb. A scoffer thinks that someone, uh, that other people are foolish and dumb. A scoffer thinks that they are wise. A scoffer thinks that their ways are always correct. A scoffer is unwilling to budge from their own position because they are convinced of their own approach and they're unwilling to consider the wisdom of another person. A scoffer is somebody who thinks that other people are always the problem, that the world is the one that needs to change for them, that they shouldn't have to change themselves. Mother Teresa said it beautifully, everyone wants to change the world, no one seems to want to change himself. That's a scoffer. Now, sometimes we need to be utterly resolute and unchanging unmoving from a position, but that's when God's law commands us to live in a certain way and we steadfastly commit ourselves to live in line with a word from the Lord. A scoffer is steadfastly committed to a word from themselves. They're more than willing to criticize the orderliness of others' homes, but they themselves are unwilling to consider the chaos of theirs. They'll note the need for others to hit the gym, but if invited to do the same thing, they will go off on you for even suggesting it. A scoffer will gossip about the sins of others and overlook the same sins in themselves or in their kids. A scoffer will whine about the abuses that others bring to this or that system or institution and explain away angrily when they do the same thing. And you can discern the sort of person who is a scoffer in this way. When someone in love brings a challenging word to a scoffer, do they come to hate the person that shared that word with them? Do they fly off the handle? Do they start by saying, how dare you? Who are you to criticize me? However, if you approach a wise person with a difficult word of correction, he or she will recognize their own error and bless you for confronting them or correcting them or challenging them. Now, the temptation in knowing all of this is for us to solely identify all of those that we know other than ourselves who are scoffers. Oh, pastor, that was good today because you should know my spouse or my son or my sister or my dad or my mom or my friend, they are such a scoffer, pastor. And, and what the Bible said was so true of them. I'm going to stop confronting them. And there's something to that, all right? I don't want to just demean that. I mean, we have to be wise enough to discern that reality in other people because Proverbs 9, chapter 8 tells us that really we're wasting our time if we're trying to bring correction to that sort of person. They're just going to hate you and abuse you for bringing correction to them. But if we hear about scoffers and the problem is only ever other people, oh my goodness. Pastor, what a good word from the Bible exposing all of those terrible scoffers all around me. Well, then we're demonstrating that we're a scoffer, right? Because all we're doing is looking down on others and refusing to recognize the reality within ourselves. 
If we can only identify this tendency in others, we demonstrate that we are a scoffer. And it's important for us to ask this of ourselves. When faced with godly correction, do you, do I, always respond with an admission of our own wrongdoing and gratitude towards the one who has corrected us? Are you, am I, continually learning, recognizing that the wise become wiser, that the righteous are always increasing in learning? Or are we comfortable with what we know, convinced of our own perspective in every particular arena, and therefore content to become stagnant? You know, it's a recognition of our own simplicity. It's a recognition of our own foolishness. It's a realization of our own sin. It's understanding that at times we have been the scoffer that drives us to the Lord God who alone is wise. And it leads us to fear him. At the very beginning of the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7, it starts with this opening, beautiful, declarative statement. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And now the first part of this book is drawn to a close with a variation on the exact same theme. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. All of this compels us to run to the Lord and reverently tremble before him because of his goodness and become wise. All of this invites us to reject our simple ways and choose affirmatively that which is wise to build our homes with God, to build our lives upon the trust in the Lord Jesus Christ because there's life for all of us who will. And wisdom goes on to tell us that. Wisdom tells us, she says, by me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. All of this is an extension of verse six when wisdom invites us to leave our simple ways and live. You see, the choice that wisdom offers us This house where we might make our home is a place that it is harder to choose because it gives, it means genuinely giving up that which is simple and foolish, that which might have characterized us when we were flippant and foolish or when we are flippant and foolish. But it's the way of life and the choice could not be starker. And the decision could not be more important. Choose godly wisdom and realize that it is the way of life. Not just to extend your years, which wisdom can and will do, but the way of life eternal. And verse 12 explains that only only you can make that choice. If you're wise, you're wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. I can't make the decision for you to choose the way of God and wisdom and righteousness and holiness. I can tell you that it is more beautiful. I can tell you that the food there is better. I can tell you that the architecture is more compelling. I can tell you that wisdom who dwells there gives life. But I can't make you. 
Make that place your home. No TV producer has already determined the outcome for you to make it appear as though there's a genuine choice when there is none. If you are wise, you'll make your home with wisdom. And if you scoff, you won't. And you alone will bear it. And with all this in mind, Solomon shows his son the second house. Home number two. Folly's home. The second house is obviously worse in every way. Instead of entering through the grandeur of columns that have been hewn by wisdom herself, this property just has a door. And the table hasn't been set, at least not as far as we've been told. Wisdom laid out a place setting and invited you to come and sit down. There's no feast in the home of folly. While wisdom offered meat and bread and wine, folly offers only water and bread. And worst of all is the person who occupies the house and invites you to make your home there. The adulterous woman shows up again. Folly. And while the house is objectively worse, and while the meal is not nearly as satisfying, and while the woman is not the sort that you should desire to build your life with, it is easier because she's stolen the meal. And she says that it's sweet. Isn't that interesting? Verse 17, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. She's stolen the meal that she's placed in front of you and she says that it's better that way. One commentator, Bruce Waltke, notes that in the Hebrew, all of the words for eating and drinking and stealing in this part of the passage are double entendre. And it's a reality that we need to acknowledge, that sin and foolishness are enjoyable for time. It's important for us to acknowledge that because it helps us to fight against sin and wickedness and foolishness. It helps us to own and claim righteousness. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.